Hey, what's up, Pain and Profits podcast listeners? I'm Darius Bell, executive producer of the pod. Today, we bring you a conversation with Samson and Jay Doctor, CEO of Virgin Products and one of the men behind the Forge Campus, an 800,000-square-foot technology park located here in the heart of northern Colorado. So grab a pen and paper or open your favorite note-taking app and enjoy today's podcast. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pain to Profits. I'm your host, Samson Jagoris, and every single week, twice a week, we bring on entrepreneurs and unpack the wisdom, knowledge, and expertise to help you guys save time and level up. And today, we got Jay Doctor with us on the podcast. Incredibly excited to share his story. But before we jump into that, a couple housekeeping items. If you guys aren't subscribed to the newsletter, head on over to paintoprofit.co. You can subscribe absolutely free for our newsletter, Street Smarts, that comes out every single week, where we help you guys level up with insight, wisdom, and knowledge on the eight core concepts of business, which are leadership, finance, growth, operations, product, service, sales, and marketing. Absolutely free, no obligation. But today, Jay, 30 years of leadership, entrepreneurship, management experience, a few exits. You own a couple companies. You're doing private equity. You are in business business accelerators, uh, product manufacturing. And so I'm incredibly excited to unpack all your wisdom. Thank you. I'm honored to have you here. Thanks. Appreciate it. So if you guys heard the previous show, Alex Wells was on here talking about marketing with Imprint Digital. This is his father-in-law. And, uh, and one of the guys who actually Alex referenced on the pod of, you know, his inspiration, his mentor of what he's trying to build with his digital media company. And so I think to help everybody, we want to know who is, the doctor. <laughs> okay, how far back do I go? I mean, I think you said before the show the doctor was a nickname you had in high school, so maybe we'll start there. Yeah, doctor in high school. I haven't heard that for a while. Doc. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, I'm from Northwest Iowa, and I went to electronic school, and I got out of Iowa. Yeah, I, I snuck God. out. I snuck out at night. <laughs> There's like two things to do there: eat corn, drink alcohol, uh, yeah, play play some sports, basketball, yeah, you know, play got a lot good of basketball, good football, yeah, basketball. And I moved out here in '83, and I'm kind of seeking. I came out here to work at Hewlett Packard, yeah, and in 1983, and they weren't hiring at the time, so I ended up going to. A, I got a job at an electronics company. And um, made my way through business and a lot of different different things. Um, were you always an entrepreneur? Did you know that you were going to do that? You know, I would say yes. My dad was a, a entrepreneur. He was had a business through my whole life, except for like two years. He worked for the city and almost killed himself because he hated <laughs> it so much. But I, I kind of thought that's what you do. I mean, yeah. you you have a business, or he would. He would buy campers and rent them out in the summertime for a little extra money. He had a gas station. He had a, a, a custom crop prank, uh, spring business. And uh, so I just, that's what you do. So I was always looking for ways to make money. I would cut little, little old ladies' grass. I would scoop their sidewalk, yeah. you know, do all these things. I would grow gourds and corn and stuff and sell them. So I was always looking for a way to make money. Yeah, that's one thing that I definitely try to instill in my kids. You know, my dad was on his own since he was 13 and worked for people off and on. He was a solopreneur. He never was able to break out of how to build a real business because he was more the craftsman. He re- he really mm-hmm. needed a good partner to go with him. But mm-hmm. I definitely had that instilled in me. I was a skater kid growing up, so kind of walked to my own drum. And that was always the appeal for entrepreneurship. 
And so I got started probably a little bit later, even though I was in like sales and stocks and commodities and whatnot. Um, but officially running on my own, I got started a little bit later. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love that that was the wisdom that was imparted on you. Cause I got my girls now, you want to make money? Mm-hmm. Like go knock some doors and rake some leaves. And I don't think we challenge kids enough because when I turned 14, my dad got me a job at the grocery store. Okay. And I was on my own, like yeah, you, financially. Yeah, you got money now. Right? Yeah, and I always had money. But when I turned 15, I bought a couple cars, and I went to the bank and got a loan at 15, yeah. wow. right? That's awesome. And then my dad introduced me to the insurance man so I could get insurance on my cars. And in that way we went. Yeah. You know, um, they paid for room and board, but everything else I paid for. That's so good. My father-in-law has a similar story where – I asked him, how'd you get so good at managing your money? He said, when I turned 14, if I wanted to play sports, I had to pay for it. Mm. And if I couldn't afford to pay for it, my parents would give me a loan with interest. And so early on, he, he learned to about delayed gratification and making that decision. That's a lot of what entrepreneurship is, is you're investing a lot of time and maybe not reaping the immediate benefits of cash in order to have the future gratitude and, and revenue that comes from that. And I think that stops a lot of people is because that, they're hung up on the certainty of getting the paycheck or whatever, mm, you know, mm-hmm. on. Did, so you said you went to college. What did you study in college? I don't think I missed that. I got a two-year degree in Northwest Iowa for electronics. Okay. And then came out here to try to get a job at HP. Later, I got my four-year degree uh, in business. Got it. And then after that, when I turned 40, I got my MBA. Okay. I thought I was going to say that. I thought yeah. You- Cool. So how long have you been flying solo as an entrepreneur, not working for anybody else then? Oh, let me think. It's been a while. That'd be about year 2000. Yeah. So going on 23 years. But during those times, I was part of a management buyout team. We bought a company, did a couple different things, but not so much solo as till I was 30. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Um, Aside from work, entrepreneurship, you know, it's pretty consuming of your life. What, what inspires you or motivates you outside of work? Well, now grandkids. Yeah. <laughs> um, two of them <clears throat> or four. more, four of them. Four. Yeah. My business partner and I, we joke around cause we say we, you know, we really don't play golf. We try, but I hate it. I can't but our passion is business. Yes. So part of our passion was in our give back was to start a nonprofit business accelerator to help people grow their business. So we started that, this will be 10 years ago, and it was a public partner um, partnership, but City of Loveland was involved and then private business was involved. And we launched this thing, and it's really to help stage two companies grow you know, they have their inter-revenue, they have a few employees, they want right. to get to 10, 20, 50 employees. We help them in that stage. How much revenue are they typically doing? Um, it varies. We have some in the program that are doing 18 million, 16 to 18 million. Some are just doing a million, some are trying to get to a million in revenue. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So, And they're all usually tech, tech companies or manufacturing companies. Side note, how do I get involved to help you guys? Um, yeah, we were always looking for advisors, uh, and every, every company is different. It isn't like a cookie cutter yeah, program. Of course. So it depends on their needs. It depends on, um, exactly what would help them get to that next level. Cool. We have one company, a satellite company that was one guy in his basement and it was, it was a, a plastic, um, type of 
process to put satellites into space. It's, it's the arms that expand on the satellite. And the fumes made his wife um, kick him out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> so he found a little, little corner and he kept doing his thing and doing his thing. He is now up to you know, multi-million in revenue wow. and over 20 employees, 25 employees. And he just leased additional space to expand. The guy is crushing it, and he's doing stuff with NASA and other military. Out of that, out of that program. Out of that program. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, how do you challenge yourself outside of business if that's your favorite thing to do? Um, that's a really good question. Um, challenge myself outside of business. I I'm also on a couple different boards. There you go. <laughs> kind of back to business, back to business again. But sorry, advising, but. Um, yeah, the Loveland Chamber of Commerce. I'm on that board. I'm the president of the Loveland Business Partnership, which is the original group that brought Hewlett Packard to town in the late yep. 50s. And we just celebrated 60 years of HP opening their very first building on the campus. Uh, that was this past October. So those kind of service engagements. Yeah, just giving back. And we, we finally found a church that we were really excited about. That's in, good. In See, Loveland. Go. We've been looking for a while. But Where are you guys going? Uh, good Shepherd in Loveland. Awesome. In the north end of town. It's it's pretty young, vibrant, and cool. So we're we're plugging Coming into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're we're generally an amalgamation of all the people who've influenced us in our life. Um, for you who have been some of the biggest noteworthy people that have been influential in your life and who you are today. What who? Yeah. Uh the very first one was Bill Bird, a freshman in high school. I was very lost. And he, yeah. he coached me all four years through school. And uh, we still stay in touch, which is pretty awesome. And my Was he a peer or was he a teacher? Or who was he, he was the English choir teacher. And if I can say a long story really short. Go for it, yeah. About 10 years ago, I went to a men's conference, a John Eldridge conference. Okay. And we were talking about who mentored you and fathered you and helped you along the way. Right. He was, I found out later he was living in Michigan. This conference was in the mountains. He was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. In one of the last days we met and we talked for a few hours and kind of spoke into each other's life, you know, what he meant to me, what I meant to him. And, so cool. And we hadn't seen each other for like, what, 30 years. We just picked up like old friends. Yeah. Awesome. That's how it works. So that was one. And then my very, my very first boss was Walter Pounds in the, when I was doing technology. So when yeah. I came to Colorado, my first boss was Walter Pounds. And he would mentor me like two days, you know, two afternoons a week. We'd just sit there and he'd talk and tell me about how to treat people and how to be, you know, a, a good person and ethics and integrity. And, right. And yeah, so it was Walter Pounds was, was my big ones. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like your dad was pretty influential in your life as well. My dad, from an example perspective. But he know, didn't like, it was like probably that generation, he didn't say, hey, son, this is how you, this is how you do this. He just did he, it. He showed you. Yeah. But I don't, it wasn't his strong suit to say, okay, let me give you some wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> let me demonstrate hard work. How about that? Let yeah. me demonstrate how to take care of the family. I can do that. Totally. That, I definitely got that from my dad as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we all need those mentors in our life. And I think that um, if you're listening to this, you know, and you're thinking about taking the entrepreneurial leap, 
those people who've been influential in your life, those are and people you trust and believe in you. We're going to give you real wisdom. Like you need to go lean into them for sure. Mm-hmm. It's definitely important before you make that leap. Yeah, why reinvent the wheel or learn from someone else's mistakes? hundred <laughs> percent. And that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Is to just unpack the wisdom and knowledge from entrepreneurs who've already been through it to try to avoid as many as possible. It's, you can't. Mm-hmm. You're not getting out of this scot for you guys. Uh, <laughs> there's going to yeah. be bumps and bruises along the way. Well, let's let's kind of pivot over to um, to your business. So you got your hands in a lot of stuff. You guys, but I think it's eighty one thousand square feet um, with the Forge campus. Eight hundred eleven thousand. Oh, I misread that. Eight hundred eleven. Yeah. I, I thought that felt small. I'm like, that's like one of the buildings. It was yeah. an old HP campus, but you bought that to create this accelerator to really kind of wrap up. I believe the private equity side of the business and bring all your companies under one roof and mm-hmm. whatnot. But let's talk about the industry that you're in and the Virgin products and why you guys focus on that and how you got into that. I think that's helpful for everybody. For Virgin products? Yeah. Like how, how does, how do you get into product manufacturing? Well, Virgin products, it's a great company. It's been around for before I got there, 25 years. Okay. And I knew the founders, Terry and Diana Precht, and um, we did. We were in circles together and did some business together in, in, in the community. And they wanted to retire. This was the end of 2018. You know, they were they wanted to do some other things, and they had some other vision for starting some other companies. So I knew them. My business partner Dan and I we knew them really well, and we picked up one additional person, John Sage, and the three of us went in and took it over, bought the company, and then brought up. Uh, Tracy Ireland and uh, a few others. So was, we were like the ownership team. Got it. And what we did was we came in and it um, it was a little bit too heavy in consumer products that were you know not big margin, not high margin, and not uh, more industrial type products that are higher margin and more a better fit for the company. So. We re-engineered the company, re-engineered the customer base. We got into defense and aerospace, industrial control. It was in medical. We're still in medical. And we just didn't go after a lot of consumer because, you know, consumer gets so, it ramps up quickly and then it's gone. And it it wreaks havoc on your company. Yeah. So we longer term contracts. Yeah. So we... Coming into 2020 was hard. Our backlog on our revenue was terrible because we were re-engineering ourselves. <laughs> but we did. We had about 43 employees kind of through the, the pandemic. And we came out of that. And we're at almost 85 employees. Wow. And last year we grew 100, oh, excuse me, we grew 80% on our revenue. Wow. So we're, and we're profitable. We're, we're crushing it. And it's a lot of fun. I love that. So I got, I got some questions on that. So how did you identify that that was a company that you wanted to go after? What was it about that company that was so attractive for you as the next buyer to take it over? Yeah. And I, I guess I didn't say what Virgin Products does. Yeah. Go for it. It's a contract manufacturer. So we design products, we source materials, we build it. And it's electrical, mechanical type products. So we assemble a printed circuit board, you know, okay. put all the chips on it. And then we do box build, which is final assembly. And then we package it. And in some cases we do 3PL shipping. You know, we'll ship the product in the cu- for the customer. Okay. So why we bought it was 
for me, it was back to my roots of manufacturing and electronics. Yeah. But additionally, um, it's a it's a place for to watch companies come through. So companies we can invest in or right. companies we can help um, because we're taking the design to the manufacturing off the table. We're doing it for, for the company. All they have to do is worry about and focus on sales and marketing. Right. We take care of all this and we know what we're doing. You know what? We're zero defect. We totally know what we're doing. We're on time yep. and we measure ourselves, all our metrics but if a company comes through and it's attractive, we'd like to invest and partner with them, help them um, to be successful because it, yeah. it helps us be successful. So it's it's watching a lot of companies come through is it's fun. I love it, that stuff, right? It, and it's it's all the coolest, newest, latest technology. I mean, what could be more fun than that? So I still got more <laughs> questions on this because it's super interesting. Um, so when you partner. Are sometimes are you partnering from like a hey we'll handle the contract manufacturing in exchange for X percentage of equity or something like that or is, we, we or do does that it look different each time well and I mean you got to be creative yeah, right depends what they need one company we we had some excess design engineering time so we designed their whole product for a piece of ownership got it okay we did that or we'll straight up invest in a company that's that's coming through. Um, or and be a partner in them, and usually minority partner. We don't ever we're not a majority yeah. owner of those types of companies. Right. Smart. And one company we invested in, we licensed the technology out of EWI out of uh, Ohio State. Okay. And we um, licensed licensed that, put money into it, developed the product, and the product is uh, ultrasound spot weld inspector. So you use ultrasound to inspect a spot weld like on a car. Okay, got it. So we check the integrity of it, strength of it, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. And, and that was in a, in a collaborative partnership with Honda to develop that. So that company is going after all autom- automotive companies, but it's a customer of Virgent Products, and Virgent Products owns a piece of it. We own a piece of it. You know, and we're all collaborating together to make it successful. Yeah, a ton of shared risk and everybody wins if, yeah. if it goes off well. That's awesome. So about the company itself, can we talk about how that deal got structured and done? How do you go buy a company like that? It was, they'd owned it for how long, you said? Uh, 25 years. So they'd owned it for 25 years. You mm-hmm. came in, was it like debt, cash, plus carry kind of thing? Or how'd you structure it, the deal? Yeah, so part of it is proprietary, obviously. It's private. Um, but we did bring in some private equity money to recapitalize it. Okay. And we brought in some ad- additional debt. Got it. We got bank financing yeah. um, to make that thing go. Now, Terry and Diana still own a piece of it with us. They're still on our board. Cool. We still collaborate as needed. We're still friends. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so they're they're part of it too. Just Yeah. And they were... Just to clarify, I think you said this, they were looking to retire and move on to kind of like the next thing. Yeah. Um, I think it was for Diana. She wanted to grow flowers and have an industrial flower grow business where she <laughs> had a distribution and sold to right. her channels. That was her passion. I think she I think she said, well, we did Terry's passion, which was electronics. Now we're going to do mine. That's my turn. <laughs> and, and she's doing great. They're doing great together, doing it together. Yeah. Growing flowers and distributing and selling them. That, yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the things I love most about buying businesses is just the creative deal structuring that you can do. 
there's so many different ways that you can skin the cat. And one of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast and in the newsletter is just there's a massive opportunity. There's a huge wave coming, a tsunami, silver tsunami is what they call it. It's about a $7 trillion wealth transfer as baby boomers kind of exit the market. Mm-hmm. And they're looking for a way to do that. You know, I think 58% of baby boomers don't have a legacy or transition plan. So there's about to be a ton of service-based businesses coming online. So if you have the skill set or you're from a certain industry or sector, start looking in those markets because that's going to create a ton of opportunity for people. And obviously you had kind of a background in electronics and mm-hmm. product manufacturing and stuff. So it made sense, right? Well, if I can speak to that just a minute, yeah, because we've done a few companies that we've acquired or asset purchases or different divisions of companies. And my business partner, Dan Camrath, he's he's the CFO and the he, I introduced him this morning as the logical one. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's the logical finance uh, one, but he calls it Jay's no money down plan. And often, and we've had it three times, we've purchased something with no money down with an arrangement for royalties over time or a buyout of stock or additional stock options. or You can get really creative in how you structure it. Yeah. But not everybody has a lot of cash to go buy something. But yes. that doesn't mean you can't move in, manage it, lead it, grow it, and both sides win. The seller and the buyer both can win so wise. in the way you collaborate and, and do that deal structure together. Yeah, because sometimes they're just tired. You know, and they're like, you're going to keep sending me a check. I can keep essentially making the same revenue, but I can then go do whatever else I need to go do. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a huge one for a lot of these people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Um, I think you said earlier that you'd been kind of running on your own for 23 years. How long did you work for somebody else before you just went full tilt into just like entrepreneurship? Well, like I said earlier, um, I was part of a management buyout team in my late 20s, early 30s. Right. Uh, the division of Square D, we acquired that division as a leadership team. Okay. Um, and established a company, Data Entry Products. So that that was semi, you know, working for myself or yeah. with a team. Sure. And then I managed a company, Ultimate Support Systems in Fort Collins. Um, that's where I met Kurt Richardson. Yep. Waterbox guy. Yeah. So... He's actually an, another uh, inspiration in my life. I can come back to that if you want to. Yeah, please. But I managed Ultimate Support for six years, and but it was an established company. I bought in at the leadership level and then ran it for the owners. Got it. The majority owners at the time. When you say you bought in, like you physically put cash into the business? Yeah. 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 Um, how much does something like that cost from an investment to buy in at the management level? Was it a material check or yeah, enough it, to put skin in the game or what does it look like? It was enough to put skin in the game. It, I mean, it depends on how you value the company sure, and where it was valued at. I don't remember exactly where it was valued at the time. Yeah. Okay. Quick side note. You said you bought a company uh, called Kadeka Microcircuits, right? Mm-hmm. Was that one of the ones that you did no money down on? Yes. That you then went on and sold for, can I say the number? A lot of money? Yeah, there's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple millions of dollars. Um, can we talk through that one specifically? I love this story. Um, I think it's your favorite one, you said. <laughs> it is It is my favorite one. Because I think that so much to be an entrepreneur is you have to be prepared 
and you have to recognize opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I had just left a, another company, and I called my friend on a Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And I said, what are you doing, Rod? He goes, oh, you know, we talked about a men's ministry thing. And uh, then he goes, oh, I should have bought this division. I should have bought it. And I said, why, why didn't you buy it? Well, I didn't know how to do it and different things. And I said, um, but you can still buy it if you want to. No deal is signed with anybody. Correct. I said, well, what are you doing it right now? <laughs> and he goes, uh, nothing. I said, okay, I'll meet you at your office in, tw- in 30 minutes. And I called my business partner, Dan. I go, hey, what you doing? He goes, nothing. I said, meet me at this office at 2.30, and we're going we're gonna to buy this company. <laughs> so <laughs> you, goes, you already had it bought. That's so we way. said, okay. No, we didn't have it bought. But I'm saying in your mind. You're oh, like, yeah. We, we, so it's 2.30. We worked till 10.30 that night to write a business plan. Uh, we pitched it to the the people selling it on Tuesday. And they go, okay, we'll entertain it, but you have to have proof of that you're a viable company. You have to have, uh, be, have be a legal entity. So within a couple of days, we went to Denver and got it, the paperwork. She couldn't do it on, online at the right. time. We had to come up with this brand name, Kadeka. Yeah which is the first two letters of our wives' names, Carmen, Debbie, and Kathy. (laughs) And it turns out it was the best international brand name we could have come up with. We had to buy insurance. We set up a $400,000 line of credit at the bank, at Chase Bank. And so we set up all this stuff without any deal. They didn't agree to anything. You just needed an acquisition entity and a real company to go buy this through. Yeah, so we proved we have the financing, we have insurance, we're a legal entity, put all the cards on the table, and we closed the deal within a week and signed the paperwork. Opportunity favors the bold, baby. Right, because we could see, I mean, Dan you know, did his analysis and stuff. We made money the first month Yeah, on this thing. Just on takeover. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Did you guys have to do some restructuring or reorging of the business, or you just knew that it cash flowed day one? We knew it cash flowed, and we hired all the employees. There was 10 of us. We hired all them. We just kept making parts, and it was high-precision electronic parts. Why were they unwinding that arm of the business or that line of the business? Because they were sunsetting it. It was a division that didn't fit. Got it. You know, that, Outside their scope. Yeah, they had acquired this whole division. They like picked, picked and choosed, chose. Um, but our sales pitch was... You don't want to piss off your customer by shutting it down. Right. We'll keep it going, keep your customer happy, and we all win. Yep. And then you had a partnership too, right out of the gate, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> and that was our no money down trans our first no money down transaction. And then um how long did you operate the company before you guys turned around and sold it? Ten years. Ten years. Was that part of the strategic plan initially? Like you had a ten year runway or just was the right time? It was the right time. Did you did somebody give you an offer or did you take it to market? Um, we let me think how that happened. It went down. So in the transition, I I went on to run a, another company and Dan um, sold it. But we were negotiating with this company out of California for quite some time, XR, and I think they finally closed the deal because they went public on the New York Stock Exchange and they wanted something to talk about. <laughs> 
So on the floor of the exchange, they're saying, yeah, we just acquired Kadeka Microcircuits, <laughs> which is kind of cool for us. It was, it's great. Yeah, we got our name on the floor of the stock exchange. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so obviously you've done a, a bunch of deals now. And uh, if you could go back and kind of tell yourself, if I knew then what I know now, I would have done these things different. Like some of the trials and tribulations of buying businesses, starting businesses, what would you do differently? Hmm, what would I do differently? Um, probably always be ready to adjust and pivot. Yeah. Um, Did you feel like you were a little too flat-footed in years past, just not nimble enough? No, I don't. I don't think so. I honestly, I don't know what I, exactly what I would do different. Yeah, um, it's been so much fun and such a ride. Yeah, I, well, I think that's a great wisdom, right? Of like, it just is what it is. I think that a lot of times, uh, newer entrepreneurs will just put this pressure on it that that like if I do well, I'm it's a success. If I do bad, it's a failure, but business is just, it's an infinite game. It's constantly changing about every two years. Regardless, you better be ready to pivot. Something's going to change. The market's going to shift. The tech's going to get different. Marketing is going to get different. Sales is going to get different. COVID's going to happen, you mm. know, whatever it is. Okay. Know. I thought of something. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> I, I think we all have this, this thought that in our lives or in our business, there's going to be a point of coasting. Mm. You know, we get to a place, we can coast. Yep. There's no such thing as coast. Nope. You know, in your personal growth or your life or whatever it is or your business, it, it changes all the time. Especially now, it changes even more faster. 100%. But to keep working hard to manage through that so you don't coast into... The wall. Yeah. <laughs> or oblivion. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's good. I want to, I want to piggyback off of that because you've, you, you just said it with Kadeka, right? You had gone on to go run a different company. You've done this multiple times, right? Bought a company, get it to where it needs to go, go on and do the next one. What's your advice or wisdom for people who maybe they have a company? Maybe they're listening to this and they're like, I have a company, but I'm kind of ready to go do the next thing. But this is still a great company. I don't know if I'm ready to sell it. How do they get their business business in position so that they can then step out or step back? Yeah, make sure the business isn't about them and it's not a build around them. You know, if a if a business, you know, the founder has to be there for everything to happen, but you, you don't have an asset. You don't yeah. have a thing of value because you leave and it, it folds. It blows up, yeah. Right. So it's it's putting the systems in place, the procedures, everything needed so you can exit so it's even an option right I, I think is important and i also think that being networked and being involved in the community or the state level or wherever in your industry is so critical mm. um, because that's where you find opportunity that's where you find connections that's where you find someone that may want to buy your business right um, it's there it's it's finding that strategic partnership or relationship that you think might even want to buy your business eventually. Uh, right. Um, but I think leaders and entrepreneur, you can't just keep your head down. You got to be involved. You got to be plugged in. You got to know, know and meet people. Not because you want something, but they're interesting. It's, it's relationship. 
Yeah, and creating options for yourself in the future, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's a time and a season for grinding with your head down, but eventually, you know, you, as you cascade or de- continue to delegate and elevate your position within the company and spend more time working on the business than in the, in the business, the role shifts. Mm-hmm. You're the face of the brand, you're the networker, you're the connector, you're you're handling all those big relationships to who knows, create some sort of opportunity in the future. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's good wisdom and advice. Um, if you weren't doing, this is a weird question, but if you weren't doing business and I, I think I already know what your answer is going to be, <laughs> but if you weren't doing business, what else would you be doing? I would be into movie animation. Can you draw? No, I mean like not making models, making uh, special effects. Okay. Okay. I've always been intrigued with special effects. So when you say special effects, like, you know, like monster makeup special effects or, or like, like blowing up stuff or CGI, it looks like a town, but it's a model town. Okay. okay got it. It's that kind of effects. Yeah. I, I, my kids and I, we've over the years when growing up, we've made some pretty extensive models and projects and such, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what advice would you give to the audience as it relates to just being an entrepreneur, but also being a great husband and father. I mean, those, I find myself blurring the line sometimes, you know, and so selfishly, I'd like to know what, it, what is your wisdom on how to do it well and finish the race well as it relates to the most important stuff? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> a lot of it is support from home Yeah, to, to go out and do these crazy things. <laughs> You know, um, my kids, I made a commitment when raising the kids, and that was I would play with them every night and then um, put them to bed at seven or eight, whenever, whatever age relevant. And then when I was working on my NBA, I would work on that till midnight. I mean, it was, it was a lot of dedicated hard work, but they had to know they came first. Yeah. And I think I did that pretty well is playing with them, doing science projects and that kind of stuff with them. With being married, I think it's the support from your wife. You know, my wife is awesome because to do this crazy stuff, you're mortgaging your house. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's what people don't always understand. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to do this and this and this. Okay, sign sign there. You're collateralize the debt please <laughs> and we've collateralized our house you know many Multiple times, times yeah. and luckily it, it raised in value so we could take more cash out <laughs> yeah can't pull that lazy equity out of there but you asked my wife how many times we refinanced our our homes she'll probably roll her eyes but then she'll give you the number yeah but it's it, it's that you gotta have an appetite for this stuff yeah and it's not for everybody yeah but you good. have it you gotta want it and you have to have the full support you and your wife from collectively. So my wife and I, we made a decision years ago that she was be a stay-at-home mom. It was just our decision. Yep. Um, that's just what we decided to do. And she she takes so much of the burden of running the household. This is a confession. She does the garbage. I don't even do the garbage. <laughs> but, but she does that because she knows that if she does that and makes my life easier, I can I can do more. I can do these other things. Yeah, and so it's a partnership. But she's really carried the weight. Dude, I can relate to that. I always jokingly say that I'd have no clean underwear if it wasn't for my wife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she and and the key there for those men who are listening to this, 
I always notice and I always tell her, hey, like I, when I see the lines on the floor and she vacuumed, I, th- I thank her for that. My laundry's mm-hmm. done. I thank her for that. Dinner's made. And I've never said, hey, you need to do this. She mm-hmm. just does it because we understand, hey, this is the partnership. I'm wired to go out and build the things. Mm-hmm. She's wired to make our house a home. Right. And, it, it's exactly the same. Yeah. Taking out the garbage isn't beneath me. Yeah. But she, she just knows, does it. She knows that I do that. It's one less thing he has to worry about. It's, and then that means more time that you guys can spend together than thinking mm-hmm. about the trash or yeah. whatever that means. How has your, your faith played a role in your success in business? Um, have, you always, have you always been a faithful guy or is it something that grew over time? No, I've been a faith, faith-based, uh, grew up in a faith home yep. in a predominantly faith community. Um, so that, that's kind of always been with me. I think at different times it's, it's taken jumps and and leaps of faith or it's morphed in different ways. Right. What really changed my life and my business partner, uh, we went to a men's conference. We had a mutual friend Mm -hmm. who invited us to go to a a wild at heart, John Eldridge conference. I don't, he was a, best-selling book author at the time. Yeah, what's the other book for, for women that they wrote? Yeah, Men's Wild at Heart. And Ransom Femininity. Yeah. Femininity or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So those are those are great, great just perspective books on yeah. you know, how men are wired and how women are wired, how God made us. Yeah, so we went to that four-day conference up in the mountains, uh, the one where I ran into Bill, Bill Bird, the mentor. Yeah, yeah. that's the same time. Um and we found, Dan and I found that we had shared values and our values even got more aligned because of that, what we learned, you know, about, you know, battle to fight and adventure to live and a beauty to win. Um, but those values were deep in our, deep in our hearts, deep in our souls that spoke to us, right? Right. And um, seeing that we had similar values, similar view, worldview, um, by the end of the conference, we were outside talking, Dan and I. I go, hey, you like business. I like business. Want to do it together? Right. He's like, okay. <laughs> and uh-huh. and we, we he came to work at the company I was managing. And we didn't put anything in writing. There wasn't like, oh, okay, I'll give you a job offer or anything like that. Right. It was, let's figure this out. And it was trust started then. You know what will pay? What you get paid? What I get paid? You know, it's it's changed over time. Yeah, um, but it's never going to be a hundred percent equal because different skill sets and different roles and functions and times and seasons and business. We try to get them pretty equal, but yeah. where we draw our, our income from is from our various companies. But everything that we do is fifty fifty. Yep. So if he's working over here in this company and I'm working in this company, it still benefits both of us. Correct. So there's there's that. Level of trust, which I highly, highly recommend if you do this kind of business structure. A hundred percent. Yeah, you, you talk about him like you know he's your he's your brother. He's your and you guys walk and been through a lot of stuff together. But, but partnerships are, man, they can make or break you. And so I love that you guys started from a lot values alignment because uh, it's it's true, man. If you're walking, if if you're a you know Christ following 
uh, kind of dude and you think a certain kind of way and mm-hmm. you're building a business with somebody who's an atheist can work. Not as good as it probably could if you were both walking the same path because you're going to eventually cross a road where there's going to be a couple morality questions on the decisions that we're making and how they align with the core values. And if mm-hmm. you guys aren't on the same page, just like a marriage, uh, it probably won't go well. And that's how business partners blow up, you know, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on just partnerships in general. What wisdom do you have for people who are listening to this about finding good partners? Well, I think we're blessed that, you know, somebody introduced us and we hit it off at this thing. You know, um, I think having a a good partner is hard. I think, I mean, it's like you have a marriage and, you know, that takes work and your business partner, it, it takes work as well to communication, maintain trust and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, Dan and I, we've done some, it has gone beyond just business because, I mean, we've taken our families on vacation. We've gone fishing together. <laughs> we, there's a, it, there's a lot of social events we do together right. in our families and in their family. And um, kind of ironically, we each had three kids and they're the same size, the same age. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, they've known each other for a long time. So the alignment in this is pretty special. Yeah, I've, I've been talking a lot about culture lately. Uh, I think just where we're at in our society, you know, coming off – the story that we're living in right now is post 1920s. You know, we came out of 1920s. We had the roaring twenties then we had world war two, terrible time, the depression, world war two, then we 1946, the world kind of comes back to life and it's great time for Americans, American pride. It was also the time when all the immigrants dropped the hyphen, right? They were no longer Italian Americans or Irish Americans mm. or Greek Americans. They were just Americans. And so we've been operating under this, understanding for the last 40 years that people are working because it's just the American thing to do. And then here we are in our current state. I think if you're listening to this and you haven't been living under a rock for the last two years, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of people that are questioning who they're working for and where they're spending their time and people are prioritizing time over everything else. And so being clear about your values and how you lead with your values and building culture around your values and building a company that aligns with your values is going to be the thing that helps you win over the next 10, 20 years because people want to know that the work that they do matters and they want to do it with people who share their same values. And a lot of companies have sacrificed. I don't know what it has been. I mean, I, I guess I've lived through it, but people think that like their faith has no place in business and vice versa. And I'm seeing those people like long-term, they're, they're actually losing because they're getting a bunch of people in their company who don't actually align with their core values. So you don't get anywhere by doing that. But partnerships and culture within your company and values alignment is the key in doing life together, right? Outside of business, we have to like each other, mm-hmm. our wives and our families and our vacations and our time spent and our church and our community. Those are the best timeless organizations. That's why you guys have probably been doing business as long as you have. Mm-hmm. And we, we're really careful with how we communicate it because some people, you know, sharing your faith or whatever, that's, that's not cool. But living, you know, with integrity, honesty, treating people with respect, empowerment, development, we strive very hard at that. It's like preach every day, 
but only use words if you have to. Amen. Because <laughs> you got to demonstrate it, otherwise it's not believable. No, you're spot on. So talking about kind of the economy and the shifts and everything that's going on, what do you foresee are some of the biggest challenges ahead of us for the next couple of years for your business? What are you thinking about? Yeah, kind of what keeps us up, up at night. Yep. Um, well, in our business, supply chain is big. Workforce development is big. Um, you know, having having people develop soft soft skills and and technical knowledge is is important to us. Yeah, because um, that's our world. We like to play in the manufacturing technology space. So, making technology and manufacturing cool again is important. Explain that to me. Is it not cool? Or is it just not like the allure of the attraction of working in that industry? Is that what you're getting at? I'm, I think, and this is kind of my opinion, but kids out of high school or college, you say manufacturing, people think dark, dirty, <laughs> you know, swinging a hammer. Right. It's dangerous. Like the, the steel mill or something. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not, manufacturing is so evolved beyond that, you know, robotics and and high-tech, big data, right. you know, type things and, and robotics that put print and circuit boards together. You know, we're here soon to expand our capacity with the latest, you know, version of a lot of that tech type of equipment. Right. Um, so I think we're, we're getting there. We have a bunch of young people coming in that are pretty excited about it, but I, I want to make sure that they're challenged and stimulated, you know, going forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's always the rub is keeping people within your organization feeling like they're growing. Yeah. And then obviously helping them grow because, you know, as the business grows, it has new needs and you need other skills. If you've got to hire it, it's always better to just bring it up internally. Other thing that con concerns me a little bit is you know, during COVID, we found out that PPE was made somewhere else. Oh, uh, yeah. In medicine, in manufacturing. And our supply chain were so dependent on others. Yep. And we were all excited about it. And we did the CHIPS Act, you know, to try to bring semiconductors back to the States. Right. But it, it almost feels like people are, are starting to forget already. It's so crazy. I don't disagree yeah. with that. It's like everyone, we learn something, we have got to bring manufacturing back. We've got to be competitive. We've got to not rely on other com countries that could say, hey, you know, we're not going to ship that to you anymore. How about that? Have you read any of the work by Peter Zion? Mm -hmm. He wrote uh, Accidental Superpower, uh, The End of the World is Just the Beginning. It's a great book. You should go read it. You would love it because mm -hmm. he's a geopoliticist and he talks specifically about the world, the global economy and how we're actually, the United States is going back to a pre-World War II type of environment where we didn't really engage in the global economy mm. and manufacturing and production and all those things are going to have to come back. Um, you know, we've already seen it with crude oil. It's as much as people want to tout green energy, it's slowly but surely uh, getting phased out because of the necessity of like, we need energy though. That's a valiant effort and we should charge towards a cleaner future. Mm -hmm. The reality of just ripping and replacing it with wind energy is just not a reality. So if you haven't read those books, I encourage you, if, if you're listening to this and you want to like your head to explode, this guy literally wrote these books years ago and everything that he wrote in those mm. books is playing out right now. 
and he has some new ones too. He's an incredible podcaster as well. You can get some of that content too. I actually just dropped it in the newsletter last week. Like amazing. Okay. I'll I check it that. out. Awesome. Well, what excites you most right now other than what are you thinking about and concerns you? From a business perspective? Yeah. Most or, excited? Or, or both or life. I'm most excited. Well, okay. I'll just answer for business. I'm super, super excited about seeing the former HP campus, which is Forge Campus, filled with technology companies collaborating and having this buzz and this ecosystem of uh, support for each other. Because already in in the environment, we have suppliers and customer relationships right. that are doing awesome things that are coming together to be even better. But to create that kind of ecosystem and and then start to build more buildings and, and expand further because yeah. we have 177 acres of land that we can do that on. Yeah, it's a huge campus. It's a huge campus, but people see the vision. You know, there's a place where you can, in the cafe which has a soft opening, by the way, today. Oh, <laughs> and I'm missing it. Um, this is more important. Yeah, yeah, the food. But, you know, you're sitting down having lunch and you run into somebody and, and you have a problem and you talk it over and they go, hey, maybe you could go with this supplier. You could do this. Right. But creating that kind of spontaneous collaboration on a larger scale than just a incubator is super exciting. Super, uh, super exciting. What does somebody need to do in order to like be a part of the campus? How do you get space over there? Or is it just for portfolio companies or what does it look like? No, it's, it's open for, um, I want to say anybody, but it has to, it can't be dirty, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, like dirty manufacturing. This is more light, uh, assembly and manufacturing, more green kind of stuff. Um, so there's two options. One is the warehouse. That's the business accelerator, and that has 48,000 feet that is in-kind donated to that program, and that um, enables uh, people to come in and, you know, they need 500 feet or 1,000 feet, and it, but it gives space to expand. Okay. And it's month-to-month rent. That's great. Because that's what a startup needs. Right. Who wants to come in and sign a three-year lease and then you have too much space or not enough. You're right. So why not have something that, that grows, you know, with the program? But so participants pay rent and they pay money for the program and that enables them to grow and that enables the nonprofit program to be sustained, you know, self-sustaining. Got it. In that little ecosystem. So the whole, real quick, the whole Forge campus is set up as a nonprofit. No. Oh, okay. just the warehouse. Yeah. Could be careful. Two separate entities. Tucked into one. The warehouse is housed in Forge Campus as a nonprofit to help grow ups. With Got it. Flex That's space. the warehouse business accelerator. Got it. Yep. Okay. And then some, you know, graduate out of the program and need bigger, more space, like that aerospace company I was telling you about. Correct. Yep. So then they would they would get a larger space in Forge Campus, but anybody can apply to get space on Forge Campus. Got it. But it's primarily tech like hardware focused is kind of what you tend to attract there. Um, so there's a software company, aerospace, uh, lightning motors is there, the electric vehicles. There's a couple different, uh, charging type companies that make chargers for EVs or for fleet vehicles. Okay. There's a, a biomed company. There's a ultrasound 
company that makes equipment for veterinarians. They okay. just moved in in December. So it's a variety of... So what you're telling me is that if Paint a Profit wanted to come and build a creator studio and we have future plans for technology as well, we could put something mm -hmm. in there as well? Probably. Okay. Probably. <laughs> I mean... Jeez, who do I got to pay to get yeah. in here? Jeez. <laughs> I just want to be in the circle. Dang it, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So um, let's kind of... We'll land the plane. I know we've... you know. You've got some time uh you've given us a ton of your time so i want to make sure i'm considerate of that but um one of my favorite questions to ask is just what what piece of content or book or information has influenced you that you think every other entrepreneur should read or consume mm. um, and it, it can be more than one if you have a couple of them that you recommend but <clears throat> some of mine are a little bit older that's right they're still good e-myth oh great book it's the one that kurt richardson introduced me to yeah we never talked about that that was pretty changing tell me about your relationship with kurt richardson this so, is the guy from otterbox this if you don't yeah. know what otterbox is then you've been living under a rock but kurt and his wife nancy are awesome awesome yeah. people and when i was managing ultimate support kurt was running a molding shop by the fort collins airport north of fort north end of fort collins yep so he was molding our fittings and these different pieces for music stand equipment and um one day, oh <laughs> funny story we had some uh, most critical parts plastic parts break and we had a tr we had a tripod with a speaker on it at a conference uh -oh. it was a conference for attorneys <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> and one of the legs broke and the speaker came down and hit an attorney in the head oh gosh <laughs> and they were cool they were cool they kind of Said, we'll take care of my doctor bill and we'll call it good. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> and, I'll see you. <laughs> and we had to go back and talk to Kurt because the plastic part was molded with too much, it had too high a moisture content. Okay. So it got like soft. It was brittle. Yeah. Okay. Brittle and broke it too much moisture. And uh, I got a little upset because the critical, it was such a critical thing. You know, they weren't process controlling that part right. And I, I'm one of the few people that can say I'm the only one that yelled at Kurt Richardson. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds like you had every right to. Oh, but then later uh, we were there doing the next project with him, um, and we recovered from that. And he showed me this box, like this big. It's a yellow plastic box. He goes, "Hey Jay, what do you think of this?" I go. Dude, it's a box. <laughs> what, uh, what's it for? Well, you can put stuff in it and seal it, and it stays. The water stays out and and stuff like that. Yeah, was, great idea. I was <laughs> like, okay. Well, I mean, our box didn't take off until they pivoted and got into you know phones and, yeah. and precision or expensive equipment and creating boxes for that. But um, he's the one who gave me E Myth, and he he'll tell you what changed. His business is when he got out of molding mm. and he subcontracted all that out because he goes, I'm not a molder. I'm, I'm this. And that's what that book talks about. And it, it changed his life changed. That's why we have OtterBox today. And it, um, it really changed how I viewed business as well. Yeah. I mean, I think like the core premise for those of you who hadn't read it is just, you know, building a business that essentially can operate without you through systems, processes, documentation, mm -hmm. people, 
so on and so forth. Effectively, like you're building a franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and most, most people don't do that to what we kind of talked about earlier. So they become such an integral part of their business that it can't operate without them. And they don't really have an asset. We're building businesses so that we have optionality in the future to one day, maybe sell this thing. And if it's dependent on you, you just have a glorified job. Mm-hmm. So definitely. You want a business. And one other thing to add is Dan and I, we've always taken out financially enough to live on. We haven't gone over the top because we're building an asset. Yeah. We're not doing it for a paycheck. We're doing it to build an asset that we can spin out, sell, right, whatever. Have options. And we're not developing lifestyle businesses. And that's cool. You know, the difference is it's really not something that you can sell that easy as a lifestyle business. Right. So we're, we're growing up assets that we can exit. Smart. What do you think separates those people who become successful entrepreneurs from those who give up, quit, or never get started? Um, I think it's grit and risk, calculated risk. Like their tolerance for it? Mm-hmm. Perseverance. I mean, you just can't quit. Um, you know, through 2008, 2009, I would say that was the hardest time when we had Kodeka microcircuits because the phones and sales just stopped. Mm. And you got to get creative how to meet payroll. Right. And we didn't always meet payroll. So what did um, you do? Well, we recovered eventually. We had, we had, we found gold and literally gold, this gold target that we used in our process for manufacturing these chips. We sold it so we could meet payroll. And then literally sold the gold. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we could, that was pretty creative. Yeah. I love it. But we did, and I don't, we did walk on the edge of bankruptcy for about two years. Like, is are we still here today? Yeah, <laughs> we're still here today. Are we here tomorrow? Well, we don't know yet. Right. But we lived like that for a couple of years. And I say we, there's a bunch of us that, that as a team. But we did bond. We did trust. We fought back, back to back through this slugging this out. Um, and then we, we survived and, and thrived after that. But uh, 2008, 2009 were very dark years, and I don't, I don't want to do that again. But there were some lessons in that. What did, oh, you le- yeah. what did you learn from that that you do different now? We're stronger. We think better. Are you a little bit, uh, what's the word I want to use? Anticipating the potential for it's not always going to be this good. Do you, are you thinking about that a little bit more? Because I know going into 2008, even going into 2020, people forget mm-hmm. and they're just like the hopium kicks in and they're like the market's not going to go down look at it it's been killing it yeah, yeah forever um we were just in a vulnerable place at that time that caused us to be in that position and nobody was buying electronics you know components at that time um so when i i think we we also learned faith and we learned perseverance mm. trust uh, you know, failure was not an option. Right. Period. Yeah, you fail if you quit. So mm-hmm. you're going to figure it out. So that's we, where those key relationships you talk about, the networks, the access to capital, equity, liquidity, partnerships, other people who are going through the same thing to be able to have those conversations. That's where that's so vital. 
Mm-hmm. Your, your net worth is your network, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I love that. Well, we'll end on this then. What inspiration do you have for entrepreneur who asp- who aspires to take the entrepreneurial leap? They haven't made the decision yet. Hmm. What I would tell somebody is be preparing. Be out there looking for opportunity. Be ready to jump on it when you see it. It's kind of like if you want to buy a, a Ford Explorer and you know kind of the years, you keep looking at Ford Explorers. Right. And you private party, the dealer, whatever. You keep looking at Ford Explorers until you see the one that you know is in good shape. Right. And it's a good price. And you know. You know then. But if but you're prepared to jump on it. Because you've looked at enough, you enough looked, of those Fords. You looked know. at enough of them to know what, what is a good deal and what I can make sure that I make money on. Yeah, so know what you're looking for and, and go looking for it regularly. Mm-hmm. Be that. out there. You sh- people should always have, you know, I have five different options or five different opportunities that I could go do. And I'm, I'm going to, in case I need to, <laughs> I carry them with me. I have five opportunities. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that comes back to your network too. Like I know if all my stuff blew up tomorrow that I could go have another opportunity tomorrow if I needed one. I could go raise money if I needed to. I could go buy a business if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Got options. But you exactly. got to be in the game. Yeah, if you just have one and you lose it, then you're done. Well, that's, I mean, if you have a job or you're experiencing that, right? Like a lot of people are having the catalyst event right now where – you know, they were, they were working for the tech company because they got the benefits and the good payroll. And then they just decommissioned an entire department. And, you, you know, you got your severance package. That I guess that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But you got a whole lot of uncertainty. And generally, those are the types of events that send people into entrepreneurship. It's like, I can go find another job or I can stop being at the whim of somebody else and control my own destiny. Mm-hmm. I had friends that worked at a large company for, you know, the 20, 25 years. And they said, we're caged animals. Oh, man. We can't feed ourselves. Oof. That is so good. Well, I love that. We'll end on that. If people <laughs> want to get a hold of you, connect with you, what's the best place? Where do you hang out the most on maybe on social media? Uh, Probably LinkedIn. Okay. LinkedIn. Cool. Or, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to see the Forge campus blow up with 811,000 square feet. Yeah, 81,000. Come by for a tour. And we'll come by for a tour, man. I appreciate you, and we'll have you back again. Okay.